It's the end of day 29, and this is the second to the last episode that we have for the 30-day non-smoking podcast, and as it looks right now, we're at 696 hours, four hours away from the 700-hour mark. That's pretty damn close to 1,000 to give you an idea of how many days you have left to go to get there, you have about 12 and a half. So, <clears throat> that being said, and maybe it's it's actually probably a little bit less than 12 and a half. That being said, I think that you guys can achieve that very easily. That'll be under the 45-day mark. So, you will probably be about a month and a half at that point. And it's it's going to be a piece of cake. If you made it thus far, especially without any nicotine in your system whatsoever, uh, you are on track to go the entire year. Matter of fact, you could do it without a problem whatsoever. And you can at least say to yourself that you accomplished one year of your life, was able to put it down and rise above it and have something um, that used to be bigger than you um, and have something that used to have more control um, over your mind than you did yourself, you can at least say that you conquered that, invested it, overcame. This episode is going to be a little bit different I'm not going to make it too somber in nature, but it is going to be about uh, serious, uh, more serious tone. So, a few years back, um, and man, it's probably been longer than than I realize, uh, I had a friend that was diagnosed with cancer. He wasn't even 30 years old yet. And... He didn't live very much longer uh, past his diagnosis. It was a pretty serious situation. He also was a smoker. All right, matter of fact, there you go, yawning again. It's the end of the night if you're doing this podcast properly and you're, you're following along properly. You're probably yawning too. I wonder if your yawns are contagious through... Uh, the phone. Let me know if you hear me yawn and it's making you yawn. It's very interesting. I've always wanted to do an experiment, as a matter of fact, and have a concrete wall um, or two concrete rooms next to each other and see if one person yawning in one room will cause the person in the other room to yawn or if it's only one of those things that's contagious if you hear it or see it. It's always been a curiosity of mine to see if if you could be in the vicinity of somebody yawning but not be aware that they're yawning and it, it um, pass the yawn on to the other person anyways back on track uh, all of us in our group smoked and so when we found out one of us had cancer, I think 
we never really sat down and had a group conversation about it, but I think individually we each had our time kind of contemplating that. Uh, and I'm imagining it was impossible for any of us to continue smoking for that time period and not think about that. And I'm pretty sure all of us had a little bit of guilt towards it. And for the first part of his battle, I think he did pretty good to try and curve his smoking. But towards the end, when it looked like he was he was not going to beat it, and he was coming to the realization that he wasn't going to beat it, he, he did start smoking again. And there was a period in time where I... I didn't know Miles as well as the rest of our friend group, but um, I knew him well enough to enjoy him and be able to hang out with him, and he was he was always super friendly to me. We met through a mutual friend, Philippe, actually, who was on our previous episode. Uh, they became co-workers at a restaurant. They were both servers and ended up uh, becoming friends over their love of music. And they actually became uh, DJs together. Well, they both had DJed prior, um, but uh, found their bond through DJ and DJing uh, music, and eventually created kind of a tag team duo. And Miles also was a musician. Grew up uh, drumming throughout school as I understand it, and even um, was in a band close to when he was passing. The band's name is Dubstep Murder. And uh, they were like a ska punk band. They were really, really a group of cool people. And he, he enjoyed the hell out of music in every facet. It wasn't a genre... Uh, that he couldn't appreciate and I mean full spectrum and I like to credit myself with having a pretty wide spectrum of music but this guy his record collection is incredible Um, and the the type of mixes that he would attempt were amazing I was around a group of people and our group of friends uh, not not too heavy into hip-hop as far as I understood and he would take techno music and blend outcasts bombs over Baghdad and then start throwing in funky records after that like funky house and it was just the type of mashups that he tried doing was just incredible he's way ahead of his time and so you know, I'll, I'll tell you this before I get to the point um, of, of, of him being sick. Uh, when I first met Miles, I didn't like him. And you may have heard a little bit about this in uh, my first online interview I did with the Anchor Nation. I talked about Miles a little bit, but I didn't like Miles. Uh, he, I could put my finger on why. Um, maybe I took him for arrogance. Maybe I took him for being cocky, I'm not sure what I pinpointed or what what set me off um, to feel a certain way about him, 
but the more time I spent with him, the more I got to realize he was he was actually a really genuine person, and his energy um, when you met this guy was was very just happy to be alive. And there came a point in time when I had to realize that it it was me being jealous of him just being able to be himself, let loose, and light up a room. He didn't seem like he had a whole lot of negativity in his life. And again, I wasn't super close with him to be able to decipher what his demons were and what he struggled with. But from an outsider's perspective, it looked like he was on cloud nine. And then when he got sick, that changed um, from my perspective. And I was young and didn't really know what to say or how to suddenly say to him, hey, I want to be closer to you. I want to be able to hang out with you and enjoy your time while you're here. And I didn't I didn't really know when was a good time to do that either or what was appropriate for somebody that's going through chemo who's probably feeling completely miserable and sick uh, throughout uh, the months leading up to his passing. He, he deteriorated pretty rapidly. Uh, and I, I never really knew how to interject myself. And then... Uh, couple months before he passed away we we all got together at a local watering hole that um, we all kind of hung out at every once in a while especially that group of people uh, those group of friends they frequented it way more than I did but every once in a while I'd be able to pop in and join them uh, they were on the complete other side of town for me so uh, I always had to stay at a friend's house that was nearby but I remember sitting outside with him, and it was just me and him, and he's smoking a cigarette, and I'm smoking a cigarette, and the thing is, when Miles was sick, he had abdominal issues and stomach issues, and he was getting his test done, and at the same exact time, I was having extreme abdominal issues and stomach issues to the point where I was doubling over in pain, um sorry to gross you out, weird bowel movements that um, are the kind of things that would make you panic, <laughs> Not, like very far from the norm. And he was having the same issue, and we were, we complained about it on online uh, through social media, and that's how we were both like, oh, me too. And we started chatting it up, like, what what's going on with you? Well, this is what's going on with me. And it turns out that mine was... Uh, gastritis, peptic ulcers, and a hiatal hernia, um, amongst a few other things, and his was the cancer. So when we were outside of this bar talking, I, I told him how guilty I felt for me having my tests show up a certain way, and him having to have the burden of something permanent that was just completely destroying him and he 
he was angry, not with me, but he was just angry in general that he was losing his life. And he just felt like it was fucked up. And the worst part about that whole experience is I never got to see him have a peace of mind. He he never, as far as my perspective, he never really made peace with dying before he hit 30 years old. Um, or maybe he did hit 30. I don't, he might have died right at 30. I don't know how old he was exactly, but I know he was diagnosed in his 20s and did not... <laughs> He did not make it much longer uh, than that uh, diagnosis point. And, you know, the last time I saw him after that visit with a bar, I actually went to go to the hospital because I was told that, you know, he's, he, he's probably got 24, 48 hours left to live. And... Um, as far as I understood it was in and out of consciousness and the rapidness for me how how quick that time passed for me between that bar visit and that hospital visit uh, was like it it felt like a week span time and realistically it might have been a month and a half maybe two months Um, but it went by super quick and he digressed very, very rapidly. Um, It is awe. It's just jarring. I can't even think of the appropriate terminology here. It is is something that commands awe of how quickly an illness can steal somebody's energy away from them. It's just something super super wild that just it's mortality uh, all up in your face like it is it is definitely a wake up call it's definitely reality shaking you to your to your absolute core you can't you can't ignore something like that when you witness that and I made my way down to um, the hospital, and I still had pretty mild anxiety. I don't, I don't really have the same kind of anxiety that I did uh, in my 20s, uh, late teens, 20s. I had pretty extreme, severe anxiety, and I felt aftershocks and little bursts of it here and there. And I, I remember feeling a little bit of anxiety going there because I didn't really know um, some of Miles' family too well, um, and. I felt guilty that I hadn't been around so much in his final days. I didn't know how to be um, a part of that and where I fit in with that. And I didn't know if I really had a right to be going to the hospital, but I I did. Uh, And when they told me which room to go in, uh, I went to, I finally found his room and I heard loud breathing and I look in the room and he's gasping for air Um, and I I believe these were some of his final moments and I I did not go in the room Uh, he had some family in there with him I didn't get a good look of who 
was with him, but um, the last time I saw Miles, he he was laying in a hospital bed dying, and that was such a striking moment for me that I I knew that I wanted to live a good life for him and I feel like because we both had those issues going on and mine turned out one way and his turned out another that I owe it to him and I do I think we all owe the people that don't get to live long lives we owe them uh, our best chance at living a very fulfilled love filled and happiness filled life Um, trying to help other people do the same as many people as possible to do the same and I mean I went went into the parking lot and just cried because I felt like I, I was too late to see him there was a lot of guilt um, and I kind of just said, you know, at some point I need to stop smoking. And I tried quitting immediately at that point, and I had no preparation. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it, and I definitely didn't have um, ways to manage stress and that was also during the time that I was still recovering from a divorce which was a long recovery for me uh, I was also dealing with taking my, care of my kids full time you know all these things that were just overbearing and I had every excuse in the world to continue smoking and it it tore me up and it, I kind of developed a vendetta against the habit for the first time like a real true deep vendetta um, that this is something trying to kill me like it like my friend died from it from the same similar kind of um, illness I don't know what caused his cancer it wasn't lung cancer um, but that's not to say that's the only cancer that smoking can cause but it, I, I knew full well that if I continued smoking that, that my chances of getting that same kind of uh, disease would, would be more likely than not. So that might have been one of my first really strong steps towards wanting to quit. I had previously set a date for myself at 25 years old. Uh, Ended up getting a divorce that same age. Uh, I made a small attempt to quit smoking that year. Didn't do so hot with it. And uh, that year, if I continued smoking throughout the year, that was going to be my final year. And then, you know, one thing after another, I get a divorce. Um, The following year, a friend dies. You know, falling near this, that, and the other, and there was always something perpetuating forward. And it took me a long time to realize that I was making excuses for myself, and it took me a long time to realize something very, very important that I spoke about earlier in earlier episodes. There's always going to be a curveball in life. 
there is always going to be a reason to be stressed out and to want to cope with that stress in some way, shape, or form to find that coping mechanism. And you have to learn to find or develop and really program a new mechanism for coping with stress, a new tool set, a new way to wind down from it that is healthy, that is not something that is mindless. Because smoking, if you really think about it, is very, it's not a mindful activity. When you're smoking, you're either conversating or you're drinking something or you're driving or you're this, that, and the other. Very rarely does a smoker sit there and concentrate on every inhale and exhale and watch as a cigarette burns down to a butt. Think about that. I'm not saying there isn't times where people aren't pondering the inner workings of the universe while they're enjoying their smoke or whatever and they're sitting there kind of glaring off into nothing which happens to be their cigarette. I'm saying actually watching intently, mind completely only full of the act of smoking. That doesn't happen very often therefore it is a mindless activity and that is a super dangerous thing to be accustomed to and acclimated to and to program ourselves to so suggestions for that could could vary and if anybody out there has some good suggestions for the rest of the people in the world that have made it to day 21 and might be afraid of a stressful situation coming up in their life and they don't know how they're going to cope with it let's let's try to brainstorm and think of things um, I mean, there may not be a one size fits all but maybe we can collectively pull together enough ideas that gets the gears turning and we can start thinking for ourselves what that catalyst might be um, for ourselves and for me I'm going to have to wait it out. And I think if it's a nighttime situation, I'm just going to go to bed. If I have to lay there awake all night, I do. If it's a situation that happens during the day or the morning, I'm going to try to do something that is a mindful activity. There are certain foods that I'm very mindful of when I eat, and it's, it's strange stuff. Like, I'll give you an example of a quirky one. When I eat an Oreo, I concentrate on twisting it open and eating the cream out of the Oreo. I'm not saying I always do this, but when I do do it, I'm actually concentrating pretty hard on that. Uh, another food that I'm like that with is maybe yogurt. Uh, I don't eat the yogurt quickly gummy bears gummy bears I I don't eat very quickly either I try to get the initial coating off the gummy bear so I can kind of spit it out into my hands I don't do it whatever, with every gummy bear but at least every time I eat gummy bears I try to do it at least once and I look at how 
transparent the bear becomes after the top layer has been removed from it. And I've been fascinated by that since I was a kid. It sounds silly, but it's one of those mindful activities. Now, I'm not saying life gets super stressed out, go get some gummy bears. But things like that um, could be something that's a mindful activity that you you create that's uh, a little bit healthier of a coping mechanism maybe junk food's not the way to go maybe it's healthier things like the yogurt for example but uh, we we're gonna have stressful times and it's gonna happen repeatedly throughout our lives and that is the thing that defeats us It's not necessarily the nicotine so much as it's been our comfort food for so long, our comfort activity. It's been what feels like normalcy because it is done at such a high frequency. It's the quickest we can run home. And we have to find a way to be stronger in the ways that we deal and cope with our stress. We have to be able to be conscious of when we're in a stressful moment and what that means for us. Because when we're stressed out, we're not necessarily thinking about how is this impacting me right now? How is this impacting my body? We're not thinking about how vulnerable we become in a stressful situation and that it might be the most one of the most large tests of strength one of the most important tests of strength mental strength mental control is to be faced with an extreme stress and how a human copes with it can determine how weak or strong their mind is and how aware their mind is. If you are self-aware then, and you are exceptionally self-aware, then you're going to recognize when you're in a stressful situation and you're going to recognize that you are extremely vulnerable right then and there. And anything that you try to do as an impulse to cope with that stress could be a sign of weakness. And it could be trying to numb yourself or avoid something that you are panicking because you have no control over. There's a book that I read that I think has done a lot of good in my life. I will not say that it has all the answers in the world. I don't believe that. But I do believe it is a good start to having self-control and self-discipline and understanding why that is important. It is called Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. And it's not for everybody. Some people do not feel like it's a well-written book, and other people feel like it's a book that changes lives. I've heard opinions of it uh, from many, many different people and many, many different walks of life. Uh, Some people that I feel are very um, distant from knowing themselves 
have and, and knowing themselves in a sense that they see their themselves in other people and recognize that we are all the same, you know, essentially uh, a set apart from our unique experiences in this world. Uh, those people are the ones that usually tend to to have a little bit more negative opinion of it but I do believe later on in life if they were to come back to that particular book they would they would maybe be able to appreciate it a little bit more uh, it is an important book for learning how to tame your ego and learning how to control impulses and trying to figure out what is worth your suffering in life and we suffer so much for things that are not entirely uh, worth suffering for some things that are completely outside of your control are worth acknowledging and worth taking note of but not worth throwing away your health and your spirit and your mood when there's really nothing, nothing you can control one way or the other about it um, learning how to endure things outside of our control is definitely a challenge and I think that's where the serenity prayer was probably conceptualized the idea of um accepting things that you cannot change and trying to have the power to change things that you that you must and that you can and also the the intelligence and the wisdom to be able to decipher between the two and understand what is in your control and what is not that that I feel and I have opinions on how AA and other and NA and other um, treatment programs have gone about things. I believe that some of the stuff that they have presented and given to people is in more of a riddle form than it is just straightforward help. I think these places would go out of business if there was no more addicts in the world. So it's just something to think about on its own. I'm not going to completely discredit them because I've seen, personally seen, those programs completely save people's lives. And it's been super effective for them, and it's worked for them. But I also see millions of other people that it it's like a revolving door with. It doesn't register and maybe that's because it is presented in a maybe a little bit too cryptic of a form maybe the the religion aspects of it um, are missing too many people and maybe religion shouldn't be the way that we try to help people out of sobriety uh, I personally don't agree with that I've watched my brother go in and out of a rehab uh, for Oh man, I forget how many times he said he's been in rehab. It's like eight different visits. And I've thought since day one that the poison in his mind is uh, 
them continuously trying to push him towards religion instead of uh, helping him take accountability. And I think later on in life, he's gotten to the point where he recognizes that accountability is one of the larger portions of it, but also he's learned that uh, a lot of how he was raised and a lot of his fear has been the roots that grew into this this giant thing that, that has taken over his life several times over. And without going too deep into that, I just, I just want to say I'd, I still think that those things serve their purpose, but uh, I think that the, some of their information probably should be reevaluated and they should go back to the drawing board with some of it and try a little bit harder with people, um, especially in the sense of things that may seem like riddles. But yeah, I totally believe that that serenity prayer is all about recognizing stress, recognizing when something is outside of your control, and being able to cope with it in a healthy way. And then on the flip side, also being able to, in a stressful situation, realize when something is in your control, and also adjusting to that in a healthy way. So, as I do, I've went on a pretty long tangent, and you, you get a better idea from this particular episode of some of my viewpoints and some of the things that have driven me in my life. I have a lot of stories in regards to um, people that I've lost that have, have left us at an unfortunate young age. Uh, and I, I feel like I owe it to them. They're, they're one extra incentive. There's one extra tool in my belt to use against my addiction. I owe it to them to be able to live a long, fulfilled life. The best that I have in my control. That is something that is in my control. And I do have the wisdom to be able to tell the difference and I want to do my best for them I want to at least sacrifice that much and that would make me feel like I'm doing honor to their memory I'm not going to be perfect none of us are going to be perfect but at least thinking about it and adding that will, that desire, that little bit of energy that wants to help support quitting the habit helps. And you need to gather as many of those little pieces of incitement as you can. Your children, your parents, your grandkids, your peers, your, your friends that are also smoking I'm looking at this I don't I don't really know of many of my friends that have been able to just 
quit of of my closest friends they're almost all smokers and, and fully addicted I need to be able to show them it's done that it's doable I mean and then it can be done and be that person to to lead by example and, and not necessarily that they need to follow my footsteps and oh Randy wants to quit smoking so we're going to quit smoking too but more so in the light of while Randy is able to tackle this thing and defeat it if I ever choose to go down that route I can at least name one person that's done it and I can reach out to him and say how the hell did you do it the wildest thing that I saw happen uh, the year that I quit smoking I finished out the whole year and then the next year I saw two people that had been smoking for 50 years of their life give or take or more and they just quit they weren't smoking anymore they weren't happy about it don't get me wrong after that length of time that was so embedded in their life that they loved that but they they were able to overcome it and I believe that they did that for a few reasons but I like to believe that one of the main reasons they did that is for their loved ones that their descendants to be able to see that it can be conquered no matter how hard how much something has a grasp on your life it can still be turned around it's a matter of just a decision I'm going to leave you guys with that Uh, feel free to uh, call in and add any uh, additional input that you have in this episode and be glad to share it uh, with the rest of the, the quit rich quit smoking community um i love you guys and i wish you all the best of luck tomorrow is going to be our last day last episode and i'm going to impart on you uh, a little bit of parting wisdom and i suppose i can go after or go about talking about the whole nirvana album cover as well because we're not going to get to a thousand mark within 30 days i didn't really do the math on that my bad <laughs> it's gonna be more like the uh, 40th 42nd day something like that but i bid you adieu and i'll see you guys on the flip side at the end of day 30 and our 30 day long journey of quitting smoking together it's definitely been my pleasure we'll see you then